Good evening and welcome to tonight's episode of This One Life, Stories That Shape You. I'm Sharon Witt and my special guest this evening is radio host Emily Jade O'Keefe. I first met Emily, or EJ, as she's known by her friends, in hair and makeup on the Carrie Ann Kennelly show. We were paired together for a segment about motherhood. EJ was pregnant with her daughter Millie at the time, now age 10, and we became friends after that day. Through life's curveballs, we've continued to provide a listening ear to each other. And during my own struggles with navigating having a husband with mental health issues, EJ often provided a soft place to land for me in her home on Queensland's Gold Coast. Emily Jade is a mum of two and is a well-known public personality on the Gold Coast Australia as host of the top rating Brekkie radio show. But just 16 months ago, her world as she knew it came crashing down when she realised her marriage as she knew it was over. What followed was a tsunami of emotional fallout, trauma, extreme weight loss, as she battled to regain her strength, take charge of her life and family, and during that period discover she's so much stronger than she ever realised. Welcome, EJ. Thank you so much for joining me. And that's the end of the interview because you summed it all up. (laughs) I pretty much (laughs) did, didn't I? Well done, thank you. <laughs> it's so true. And you know, I think it's really lovely sometimes how we just sometimes we meet people, I say, for a reason, a season, and a lifetime. And I think you and I, I, I think we met each other for a reason. Mm. Um, you know, it wasn't a season, it, it's continued on. And, and yeah, I, I just think sometimes people come across your path and you're meant to find each other. Yeah, well, look at us. Our lives certainly are not like the day we met. I was, you know, expecting a baby and you were happily married to mm-hmm. children. And now look at us. We're both husbandless for different yes. tragic reasons, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, you know, not comparing, but yours is obviously a bit more tragic than mine. But um, we both went through incredible grief since we've met each other and had to nurse each other through that. Yeah. And I think that's the one of the wonderful things about finding people that you can you can share with, you can heal with, you can hold them in their grief or just simply be there for them, even when there's nothing you can do to fix it. And that's, you know, I'm so grateful for you because you couldn't fix what I was going through, but you could be that soft place to land, that person to check in on me. And um, and I'm so grateful for that. Oh, well, thank you. And same back at you. And I think you nailed it when you said you can't fix another person. We no. as humans can't fix another person. There's a lot of people that... Uh, learn how to do it via very long university degrees and we certainly rely on our psychologists and our psychiatrists but when it comes just to us average humans we can't fix anybody's problems we just have to hold their hand through it yeah that's that's so true so EJ um you know you've been through look a pretty horrendous 16 months um 16 months ago literally um around that time you discovered that your marriage as you knew it at the time was not what you thought it was and um, your world fell apart. I know it's a really tough thing to to go back and and recount that, but I think, and I know you've spoken publicly about this before, what you do in sharing your story is hopefully help other women who may find themselves in a marriage or a relationship that um, for whatever reason falls apart. Can you take us back to that time? Yeah, and, and and that's right. That's why I do share my story. It's it's not ego-driven. It's simply because I found myself in my 40s with two children going through a separation and 
touching on what we touched on before, I had lots of friends supporting me that couldn't fix it, but I also didn't have a lot that had gone through it. And so I started searching for ways to get through the pain and make meaning of it. And I had to widen my circle because I had a lot of blessed friends that mm. were still navigating happy marriages in their 40s. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, it's 16 months since the marriage kind of officially ended when he sat me down and said that he, he was leaving. Um, but to be honest, it was, you know, an 18-month process up to that um, and perhaps even longer. I mean, I've been doing lots of therapy. He's been doing lots of therapy. And when you really go through the human brain um, like we have been doing to, to work out what went wrong, um, you know, you don't just sit down at the kitchen table one day and say, I'm leaving there's yeah. oh you know, absolutely and that day mm. that day that it all fell apart when you realized um when you were told you know I don't want to be mm. in this marriage anymore tell me what that day was like and the emotions the everything that you go through at that point um there's so much shock that you literally feel I felt like my body fell into a hole um I felt like a whoosh of everything I knew just draining out of my body. Um, it's so hard to explain that initial grief that I'm sure when you find out someone has passed away that you love or mm. when an accident happens in front of your eyes or in this case, you know, someone you love is telling you that they don't love you anymore um, and you've built a life with them. I just, it's the soul exiting your body. It's the looking down on yourself. So many people have tried to describe it over mm. centuries. And all I can say is it's like your brain separates from your physical body mm. as your brain is trying to protect you. And so you feel like you're two pieces. And then a part of the healing process is bringing those two pieces back together. Yeah. Those first, those, yeah, it, that makes perfect sense. And those first few days, you know, you had your parents come over. You've got two kids. Mm. You know, how do you, how do you get up and eat or go through the motions of getting, you know, the kids to school or daycare when everything that you thought, your hopes and dreams for the future are suddenly just ripped from under you? How do you even get up after hearing news like that? Well, um, in some of the grief counselling that I've done, one of the ways that it was described to me is that in some moments you are just going through the motions because it's what takes the grief away and then other moments you just can't actually stand up, get out of bed, mm. um, get up off the couch, get out of your pyjamas. So it is a massive seesaw of I can do this, I can't do this, I can do this, I can't do this. And this is where in really big grief situations you rely on your friends and family. Um, and that's what I would want to do now that I've been through this big grief event, having never gone through something like this before. And I think I've done it for other people, but I didn't realise it was what I was doing at the time. But you just simply have to be there to help people cook the meals, make the beds, take the kids to school. And that's what my friends and family did. And in the times that I couldn't do it, 
they let me be. And the times I could do it, they let me do that too, because that's equally important to uh, when someone's pulling themselves together, if they're kind of trucking along and doing things as a friend, we can say, hey, you're trying too hard and do you need anything? My suggestion is actually let, let someone do it until they collapse. Yeah. Let someone do it until they say they can't uh, go on because nothing can protect you from what you're going through. Yeah, and you make a really good point there. You, as a family, and I know for, for me, my parents just wanted to protect me. You know, it was different circumstances. We were dealing with mental health issues there, um, but my parents wanted to protect me. And my mum was actually saying to me yesterday, she watched me become this skeleton of a person. I lost a lot of weight and I was, she said, you know, I literally thought you were dying in front of me because of the pressure and the stress of it, you know, and, and that's really hard for our parents to watch, isn't it? It is. And my parents felt the same way. And you do lose a lot of weight in this style of grief. And it's just your body's natural reaction. You feel nauseous all the time and you can't eat. And it's almost like that part of your brain just turns off because people would say, eat, eat, eat. And I would say, I'm trying, like, I'm really trying, but I just couldn't, wouldn't, didn't think of it, wasn't on my mind. There was My brain was ruminating too much on what could I have done? How could I have stopped this? What have I done wrong? Why is this happening? What's he doing? Why is he doing this? And the last thing you're thinking about is nourishment. Um, but the, the thing that our friends and family go through, it's called vicarious trauma. And it's really important when you get to the other side of grief to which you never really quite get through, I will be honest. But when you get to a point that you can look back and say, oh, gosh, I've got through it. It's important to look at your friends and family and ask yourself, are they okay? Mm. Because you don't notice at the time because you're just simply coping, but they take on your grief. And we all know we do it. When we see someone cry, you want to hug them. Your empathy kicks in. You want to hug them. You want to wipe their tears. You want to take away their pain. Mm. Now imagine doing that for a good six months while your daughter or son is grieving a lost partner through however that happens. And mm. You are doing the school pickups and cooking the meals and watching and nurturing and trying to put food into them. And then when one day they say, I'm actually really good, a part of their purpose can be taken away and they still want to stay in that purpose. They get used to it or they, they almost in a way want to keep, they want to keep protecting you and they don't know how to not protect you anymore. And they are going through their own trauma. And you need to acknowledge their trauma and make sure they're okay and continually tell them you're okay now. Are you okay? I'm okay. Are you okay? Okay, we're all okay. Oh, that is such a good point, EJ. I love that because my dad, you know, I mean, both my parents still worry about me now and I'm 52, but my dad will still say every day, are you okay? Are you eating? We, I think we do forget how much it, it can provide, you know, cause trauma to the rest of our family. And definitely my parents um, definitely felt that after effects, you know, of being the carers, you know. Yes. Um, they felt afterwards when I was starting to do better, it's like they go, oh, that was horrendous, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and they, they almost don't want to let you forget it. No. I find that with my parents, they don't want me to forget it because they don't want me to go back to the past or they don't want me to have to go through that style of pain again. Um, but I know now that they are, it's their trauma speaking and it's their trauma from watching my trauma. Absolutely. Well, stick with us. We're going to chat more after the break about how we navigate this time with our kids and friends. Stick with us. We'll be back right after the break. <laughs> 